Hello and welcome to another fun-filled nonsense retrospective. I'm your host as always, Rick. Joining me equally as always is Devon. We are your residents, d- re- resident DMs. Welcome to the mystical land of Sham Shasha. Yeah, sliding into your DMs is DMs. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about Monster Manual again today. We're going to be doing a bit of a, a ranking, but before we get too far into that, let's start with our good old time-honored tradition of the nonsense, asinine hypotheticals. And do you have one for me today? I fought long and hard this week for a banger of a question for for you. I dug deep into my soul and then at the last minute I decided, fuck it, I'm going to ask you about cheese. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You are only allowed one type of cheese ever going forward in the rest of your existence. What cheese do you pick? I'm going with Brata. It's basically mozzarella ball, but better. <laughs> That's the only cheese uh, you can have full stop, you sure? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's just high quality mozzarella ball. Now, if you need it to be uh, anything less interesting, you just leave it out for a while and the middle goes hard and then it's just the mozzarella ball. Well, then let me tell you this, guys. This is the most conviction Rick has had with an answer in a long goddamn time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> Maybe so, maybe so. Like, I just think it's the best cheese. You only get you only get it when it's fresh, and you only get it fresh when you've got a place that's good. That's fair. Like, you can't buy it in supermarkets pretty much because you know by the time it gets to a supermarket, it's been somewhere overnight, and then it's no longer good. Well, I'm rather glad that you uh, explained what the cheese was because I'd never heard of it. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's a mozzarella ball. The middle is creamy, and uh, to to be creamy, it needs to be fresh. But yeah, how about you? What will be your cheese of choice till oh. the end of time? <laughs> a, the thing that people forget about Britain is we have some nice fucking cheeses oh yeah yeah like people praise the french for it but we also have a thing of if you go two miles in a direction there's a different local cheese yeah like we even have our own brie yes, yes if you do. go to the supermarket you've got a choice between british brie and french brie there's no discernible difference but patriotic fuckers will stare at you if you've got french brie in your super in your trolley <laughs> um that being said i fought for this for a long time because i've always long championed gouda as my favorite cheese however sure if i've got to have one cheese and one cheese only for the rest of my life it's gonna be extra mature cheddar yeah i want yeah. it a fucking i want to fucking taste it <laughs> sure sure to be honest cheddar on its own is a fine choice mm. And it's just your choice of how mature it is. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But I feel like if you say cheddar, and then that encompasses all age ranges of cheddar, it's uh, you know a bit of a cop out answer because you're getting so many different flavors for the price of one. Yeah, man, we had some cheddar the other day that was it was so different to normal cheddar that it tasted like manchego. Sure, I've got to be honest with you. I'm I I, I boast of my um, my like of cheese. I haven't actually had that much different cheese. I, I stick relatively safe to European cheese. <laughs> Man, I remember the the moment that I first started liking blue cheese. It's when I tried it, and my uncle went, mm, "The blue aren't stankier the better." Uncle Scottish, was he? <laughs> yes, he was. Uh. <laughs> it would be a bit weird if he wasn't. Well, I don't know, Rick. Sometimes you just do voices for the sake of it, so I have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah. before we get bogged down in boring cheese talk, I feel like we've we've reached the pinnacle of cheese talk for the podcast for today. Rick, I yep. assume you've got a question for me as well. Yeah, today we're doing a personal ranking of monster manual creatures, and I went to the uh, the other end of it of uh, what's the weakest monster you wouldn't mind being? Uh, the weakest. Yeah. Oh fuck! By weakest, I assume we have to go by challenge rating. Yeah, general by challenge rating. If you th- if you can make a case for something being weaker than the challenge rating suggests, then that's fine too. Uh, I don't know, man. Oh, this is an awful question because you know what I'm like about my my sense of self and my humanity. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so by that logic, I guess a bandit. A bandit. Okay. I'm me, and the sad a bandit. <laughs> and, and the sad reality is, a bandit is probably more physical capable, physically capable than I am. So if anything, it's an upgrade. <laughs> the only downside is my morality has been bankrupted. <laughs> what about you? You've had more chance to, to think about this than I have. Yeah, I was going to go for a jackal way, but I realised that's actually just a jackal that's been hit with lycanthropy rather than a human. So uh, I went for the good old time on a tradition, not time on tradition, the <clears throat> the tried and trust tested flumpkus. You know, always trust a flump. The universe loves you. Yeah, they, they and they kind of just actually, float around and do nothing, don't they? <laughs> more or less. They're not actually that bad. Um, let's see. They've got uh, they've got tendrils and they've got a stench spray. They do their stench spray once a day. I do my stench spray a lot, of, a lot more often than that. Sure. I become a flump so I can fart less. Okay. <laughs> they also have the turtle thing of if they fall on their back, they're uh, they're screwed for a little while. But uh, you know who isn't? <laughs> you know I've got to imagine that flumps will only come up as an enemy for evil campaigns. Oh yes, definitely, definitely. Or um, dream sequences is another good one for that. Mm. But yes, uh, like I mentioned slightly before, we're going to be men talking about our top five picks from the monster manual on basically on how much we like them how iconic they are and how interesting we think they are as monsters in general so i'm going to start with you what's going to be your number five my number five pick nice and easy nice and simple it is the humble etikat okay yeah the two-headed giant no oh no 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 that's etin yeah no the etikat is, uh, is, uh... is a spider person basically yeah okay okay yeah like we have been through the monster manual before my uh my, br- my head brain is not perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. They're very similar names. Uh, no, the Humble Etacap is a challenge rating 2 monster, which makes them a perfect substitute for hobgoblins and bugbears, because boy, do they get fucking boring. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Monster Manual basically describes them as humanoid spiders that tend, feed and watch over spiders, the way a shepherd might oversee a flock. And if that isn't adorable, mm. uh, the only downside is they are 100% evil, and they are a natural enemy of the Fey Folk, which, you know, again, the, my favourite thing about these is you can throw them at a low-level party, and they are a threat. Yes, yes, yes. That's the, that's a great thing about low-level things. Like as soon as you picked your low-level thing, you just increase their numbers, and you can do something with them. Mm. Like uh, these things can climb up walls quite easily. They are known in the monster manual. It mentions that they set up traps and whatnot. So uh, much like that infamous dungeon involving kobolds, you could do the exact same thing with Etacaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, they've got a variant, and their variant gives them the weapon Rebgarot, which if that is not a scary visual, what isn't? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they they have poison, which is a fucking murder for low level characters. Yes, it is. Um, like as soon as you get poisoned, um, if you got the poison condition, you suck for a long time. If you take poison damage, it's low costed on the challenge rating calculations. Mm. Uh, this particular one, the uh, the poison is a is the status, uh, but it also does poison damage on the hit. Mm-hmm. So uh, its regular bite attack is a bit more potent than other bite attacks at similar levels. Yeah, it's, it's something stupid like you can have a really low challenge raining guy who will do like 3d8 poison on a save uh, and uh, if you got crit to begin with then that could be that could be just you melted uh, potentially yeah if this crits that's four dice you're getting thrown at four d8 you're getting thrown at from uh, this creature yeah yeah at low level you you're probably not surviving that unless it's all ones yeah yeah uh again no you're probably not gonna fight more than one of these at level one mm-hmm. that being said the moment you reach level three you're fighting a gang of these cry to me later bitch <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, uh, on the flip side, they're not particularly challenging to kill. They only have an armor class of 13 and their hit points is 44. Sounds a lot to people, but bear in mind most parties consist of four characters. Yes, uh, for all of these I've uh, I've thrown a sample party of four into the universe and uh, for some of them I've even I've, I've calculated how, how many of them it will take, take, need to take them down or what level they'd need to be to stand a chance. Uh, yeah, I've not bothered doing that in particular because I've gone more for flavor and what's fun as a DM to throw at a party uh, for my yeah. list. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm sure there have been factors for you as well, but I'm, I'm glad you've done some more math than I have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I threw it at a website. I can't be bothered doing the math and math myself. <laughs> oh, and all that, all of those respect points just go down the drain. Um, <laughs> uh, that being said, Rick, I think that uh, pretty much justifies why Etacap gets the number five spot on my list. They're fun. They're not particularly deadly, um, especially to higher level parties. But yeah, I care that they're fun. Yeah, totally. Totally. And just as you said, the Kobold Dungeon, yeah, my number five is Kobolds. I think they're a fantastic starting villain. Um, yes, they have in recent years been um, flanderized into being comical and sympathetic, but if you give them <laughs> a dragon to follow, then they will follow that dragon tooth and nail and will not be swayed from their cause. Uh, we're going for Western Kobolds here, aka D&D Kobolds, where they are basically very micro... They're basically goblins, but dragon-flavored. Yeah, draconic goblins, not Polt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the basic bitch one is CR18, just like your Etikap. Uh, Sorry, not. Etikaps 2. Etikaps Etikap 2. Okay. Yeah, CR18 is just like the Flumph, and I believe the Bandit. Um, they're similar to goblins and stuff in that they are meant to be encountered in packs. I think what's interesting about these is because they've got sunlight sensitivity, you can encounter them out on the field and have an easy time with them. And then when you get into their lair, they, uh, they ramp up the difficulty because they're no longer at disadvantage to do anything to you. But I think that's part of the fun in the DM's toolkit because you put a group of them like hunting or scavenging, the party sees them and then have the kobolds immediately flee. Now depending on what your mm-hmm. party's doing and what their motivations are, I know a fair few adventurers who tends to lean towards characters that'll be like, kobolds, murder, rah! and then they're going to have a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> if you catch them before they get to their warren, cool. If you don't, good luck. <laughs> they're also a pretty good one to revisit like a level later just to show you how prepared they can be with uh, their Batman prep time. Oh yeah, I, um, I, I'm i probably never going to do it because I'm not that type of DM, but uh, I am tempted to get together a group of um, of adventurers, probably including you, um, mm-hmm. where um, I just want to throw you at that meat grinder, Kobold Dungeon. Yeah, the Tucker's Kobold's Dungeon. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I, it, seems like, it seems like fun, and it seems like more fun for both the players and the DM than Tomb of Annihilation, because I don't want to deal with that shit. Oh, Tomb of Annihilation's bullshit. Like, there's a bunch of things where you just touch it you die yeah i know that's why i don't like it like i i toyed with the idea of running it one day and i looked at the first thing and it's like press the doorbell you're dead make a new character it's like that's not fun for anyone that being said uh i think everyone agrees that gygax was just sick and tired of his murder hobo players Yeah, and his players complete, completed it on the first run. Bullshit! Like, I've, yeah, yeah. Like, I think Gygax came up with liches and all their bullshit just to spite his players because there's so much bullshit with liches. But that's why they make such a but, good uh, overarching BBEG for level 20 campaigns. Yeah, yeah. you got to find the Phylactery, you got to destroy it. If you don't, then you got a lich for longer. It's also classic, man. Like, it's, it's Sauron, it's the Horned King from the Black Cauldron. Like, it's not exactly breaking new ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I am. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's enough for me and my number five. Who's your number four? My number four is the less humble, and I had to look up a pronunciation to make sure I didn't butcher this. I don't mind butchering it to my players, but I don't want to butcher it on a podcast. Remoraz. Oh, Remoraz. Okay. Yeah, yeah. These things look cool. They look They're, cool. Um... They absolutely do. I've actually had the chance to throw this at my party. However, my party was six people strong, and they had a storm giant tanking it. So uh... yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Not yeah, storm they, giant, uh, frost we, giant. We did have that. Yeah, frost giant. Yeah, we did have that. That is a thing that is in that um, in in that adventure. And at the time that we did it, uh, he was picking his nose in a different room, so we had to fight it on on our own. <laughs> and we still managed it because we had, uh, well, it was when Hexblade was new and interesting, so uh, I was trying it out, and uh, that's when we found out that it was OP. Yeah, this thing is a, um, it's a real problem for parties that don't have ranged. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, yeah, it is. Its big gimmick is that if you're within five feet of it and attack it, you take fire damage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Combine that with the fact yes. that it's already got 17 uh, for its armor class and a big fuck-off HP people, you're probably not taking this thing down solo. No, it's uh, it's rather potent. It's got a um, it's got the swallow attack as well, hasn't it? It does. Uh, and if you smack it, then it bleeds fire at you. Yeah, if the creature touches the <laughs> Remoraz or hits it with a melee attack within five feet, it takes ten, well, 3d6 fire damage. Uh, it's also immune to both cold and fire damage, so even certain wizards, depending on how they spec, uh, sorry, ma- magic casters, not just wizards, uh, might have a bit of a difficult time in inflicting uh, damage. Although Come on, no one's gonna. Spe- it's not Dragon Age. You're not gonna spec entirely into fire damage. <laughs> hey, some people do. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it but depends they- how much they want to flavor their wizard. Yeah, um, some of them take the thing where it uh, it, re- it reduces the um, the effect of resistance, but it doesn't do anything for immunity. So yeah, that's still of limited use. Yeah. Um, also, it likes to burrow. Yeah, it does. So it can just go. Oh, I I'm bothered right now. I'm just gonna burrow and I'm gonna pop up after a few of you you have wasted your turns. Yeah, that's pretty much what I had to do with, with it against you guys, because if I remember correctly, you put down your AoE bullshit. Yes, yes I did. And it's like, cool, <laughs> under the ground, doesn't care no more. <laughs> uh, but again, I, I would have loved to have done that fight again without um, Harshnag there. Me, yeah, yeah. Without Harshnag or without me. <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> because clerics are t- I don't think you would have been as big of a problem, especially at that time. This thing's got a plus 11 to hit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Harshnag's so uh... big HP pool and the fact that he's too big to swallow uh, was pretty much the only reason why he made a perfect tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, um, there's also the subcategory of a young Remoraz, which uh, is a bit less deadly. It's only a challenge right, ranking 5. It's less deadly because it's it's uh, fire, uh, fire AoE damage when you're nearby is significantly reduced, and also it can't swallow you, also it's weaker in every other respect. Yeah, like, I'd be tempted to run one that could swallow you, but like, had a really easy way to um, to regurgitate. I like, mean... As the DM, you're in control of these things. Yeah, I get you. Uh, I mean, the regurgitate take for the big one is it needs to take 30 damage or more in a single turn from a creature that is inside it, which they throw Yeah, it's a... difficult if you're a caster. Yeah, it's also the fact that um, when the Remoraz gets thrown at you in Storm King, it's um, you are not a... Uh, you're not a match for it on an individual level. You're unlikely to be able to do 30 damage in a turn on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. Fireball yourself, but even then, it's oh, a to fire. It is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's that's why it's at number four. It's 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 very niche because I feel like you need to justify why it's in a place. But if you can throw yes. one at your party, it's a bit of fun, especially if you've got some horde enemies to keep 
the backline distracted. Mm. But what about you? Who is your number four? My number four is the humble ghost. Ooh. Now, this <laughs> sounds a bit basic bitch, but um, it's a real personal one. We had what I consider to be almost the perfect encounter one time. It nearly TPK'd us, or rather, I nearly TPK'd us because the ghost possessed my character with low wisdom. <laughs> uh, sorry, with low charisma. Um, its attacks target different stats. Um, the possession is the one that charge, char- targets charisma. It's um, it's normal, horrifying visage that does frighten targets wisdom. Uh, it's not an optimized creature at all. However, it causes no end of panic when my low charisma wrecking ball started wrecking the party, and it took the whole party to subdue me until the cleric could uh, successfully turn undead to bonk it out of me. <laughs> um, I thought that was a real good way to force cooperation in D&D 5e, which is very much, uh, in my opinion, geared towards personal achievements. Sure. Um, like, we talk about Pathfinder now and again, but it's very much baked into the system where you can see the effects of teamwork in Pathfinder very early on. Um, this It's a lot more difficult to achieve in 5th Ed. And uh, in this situation, that's it just got, it forced our hand, and I think we all came out better for it. Yeah, I kind of get where think, you're coming from. And I think everyone enjoyed that encounter. So yes, the uh, the good old, I think it's, it's CR4, so it's not a world ender, and I think we were CR, we were like level 5 at the time, so <laughs> we shouldn't have had problems with it. <laughs> it's, it's one of those where I, I think we should probably point out now in the podcast that um, the challenge rating is there to give the DM an idea of what they are allowed and not allowed to use against the party, keep things fairly balanced. However, the challenge rating system is in and of itself not exactly perfect. Oh no. Like, um, level in Pathfinder for enemies is normally a better way to go about it because uh, you you can throw a party against something that's a couple of levels higher and yeah, it'll be an uphill battle but you've got action economy on your side. Um, With challenge rating, it's a lot more swingy. You can also do that in D&D though because you can put a really high challenge rating monster against a party of six and the party of six, you will be surprised how quickly they mow things down, especially if they have a frost giant on their side. Yeah. Uh, player characters can be spiky. Like They can choose when to be spiky with their resources. They might not have those resources for the rest of the day, but in a panic, a uh, a cornered player character is a most dangerous thing to behold. I remember there was a time when I, I didn't have an argument with you guys, but I remember I, my voice got slightly raised where I was like, you can't have another long rest. Oh yes. You're in the, yes, mi- yes, you're yes. In the middle of a dungeon, you get one because that's how this dungeon is played of a Otherwise, 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 I've got to ch- trivial, yeah. otherwise, I've got to change every encounter to deadly to make it fair. Yep. <laughs> otherwise, you're just going to piss your way through the dungeon because this is a mega dungeon. It's meant to be done under one long rest. You can have a short rest. You can have as many of those as you like. <laughs> yeah, as long as you can defend your short rest zone. Given the location, a lot of things didn't really give a fuck. Oh yeah. <laughs> when we did one of those, we ended up putting an igloo down <laughs> and uh, trying to do a long rest in the igloo. And when when we came to, there were like five fire giants just kneeling down inspecting it and continually poking it yeah you'd be you'd be like hmm igloo weird also other dead fire giants and a dead dragon <laughs> yeah they'd be pretty impressed by the dragon i imagine yeah <laughs> they'd be pretty happy about the dragon because it was inhabiting a lower level and just like eating gold as they do yeah <laughs> so yeah who's your number three my number three is the less than humble Abeleth. yes yeah <laughs> i think this might be one of the most interesting creatures uh that has legendary actions and has a lair because despite having all of these it's still only a challenge rating 10 which 
means you can throw it at some real low-level parties and it will frighten the fuck out of them. Yeah, so I think the Aboleth is... I think it's under-costed if you give it a cult. Yeah, yeah, um, it's meant to have a cult, for sure. Aboleth is also my number three. Oh, that's fucking... What a coincidence. I didn't think we'd have the same number with a crossover. Yeah, um, I put... The, this is basically what you make a cult out of and you make a whole arc, a whole village, your even a small city of cultists that have touched the goo. Yeah, yeah, okay. And um, they, just as an action, they can just drain health from one of their followers. On average, this is enough to kill a commoner, mm-hmm. but for them, it's 10 HP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, calculated that uh, CR 10 would be hard for a party of level 7s or a deadly encounter for a party of level 6s. And I think party of level 6s is a good place to have this because having like a uh, like a, a 2 to 6 encounter, uh, like short arc, as a mini campaign in this in this hypothetical village is uh, potentially a cool thing to have. Well, Rick, I've got some spoilers and behind-the-scene knowledge for you for our most recent campaign. Oh. There's a mini campaign that you can put just before you um, head back to the Eye of the Allfather, which um, basically involves dealing with an Aboleth, and it basically introduces the Grand Dame casino ship early, uh, so, the, okay. so the party will know what it's about, and they'll be able to do some connections, because guess what? Uh, the Aboleth, sir, the Kraken. Um, yeah. And he has his own little mini thing going on. Uh, the only reason I didn't run it is because well, there was two reasons. One, I was going to make a plot hook involving our resident warlock who has had issues coming to the game and also didn't give me anything to work with with his, with his patron so I couldn't do that. And two, I just, uh, when the party it was basically like the the, ga- the game was starting to ramp up to the main objective and I was like, ah, fuck it, let's do the giant shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's exactly what you mentioned there's a small mini cult you fight mostly cultists and then the big bad of the little mini arc is the Aboleth and you get more clues about the Kraken society and whatnot and you also know the Grand Dame exists early on making that particular plot point a lot easier to decipher yeah because it's uh, a little bit of a it's a little bit of a oh yeah I roll recall knowledge you, you keep doing so until you get the plot point because otherwise it's a difficult thing to decipher at all yeah like, at all yeah and the book doesn't help much either because the book basically says we want you to drain your players resources uh, every day spent researching they lose this amount of gold and I'm like that's not fun <laughs> it's not fun for players and it's yeah. not fun for the fucking DM either it's actually quite boring yeah <laughs> well I guess it would work if they lost that gold from the end of the dungeon say once we've done the thing and we get the rewards like some of that money is gone and we just don't know about it until we get it yeah it's, it's just one of those where there's some aspects of D which as a dm i don't like running because it's basically like waste time yes and it's like <laughs> cool and if you if you are a better storyteller than i am which i'm willing to admit you could probably make that fun i don't think i'm a good mm. enough storyteller to make the whittling away of days seem fun yeah like some people get a real boner for um, resource management, and uh, oh yeah, your your party is now non-trivially poor. What do you do? Well, okay, well we're, we're level seven. Let's, <laughs> let's just find find a catacomb, clear it out, and then sell the bits that we find for chump change. But the thing is, until that part of the story or the the campaign, we weren't really doing much resource management. No. So it feels like no. a weird thing to just chuck in all of a sudden. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Plus, you know. 
like we have people with wisdom we can just live off the land i can always just create water which is like a level two spell yeah to be, the, you know. the implication was that because you were looking for something clearly city related you'd have to chill in cities but sure at this sure. at the same time what's to stop you to just go outside the city walls and set up a tent yeah <laughs> that's what boskill does so, all yeah. the time <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh both of our number threes the aboleth uh who's going to be your number two i'm still mind blown that we both picked the same one for the same number right? yes <laughs> we had no we had no chatting in between uh us deciding to do this and the episode coming out the only chatting i did was i sent rick a message yesterday saying i got my list done and rick was like cool yeah <laughs> Uh, but number two, this is the one which I thought we would actually cross over on. It's an iconic beastie. It is the less than humble mind flayer. Okay, yes, uh, this is kind of one of my honourable mentions. So I'll let you take the uh, I'll let you take the floor on the mind flayer. Well, there's a few things. One, they look scary. Two, yeah. If you we've all played Demon Souls. If you <laughs> if you if you deal with them correctly, they are a scary little beastie. And also at challenge rating seven, you don't find many things this low of a challenge. I'm using air quotes that can instantly kill a party member mm. which is why yeah. I think they're so scary because if they get their um, their tentacle attack off followed by extract brain it just kills the player There's you can't bring them back yeah uh, like the whole point of extract brain is that uh, the body is no longer intact for a resurrection mm. if, if the damage reduces um, the target to zero hit points the mind flare kills the target by extracting and devouring its brain mm-hmm. and uh, do you know how they reproduce uh, oh I do it says uh, it does say oh go on yeah. you, you know it Tad- off by heart so you do it they put a tadpole in your eye <laughs> and then it grows until it goes into your brain and then the uh, it just generally just morphs your head into its head and just pilots your body fun uh, but they and are a point, um, they are a personality is long so. yes 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 <laughs> man I remember the first time I encountered this was in a uh, Neverwinter Nights expansion mm-hmm. and you had to basically you wore a tinfoil hat and your party members didn't have to because uh, they saw your party members as being your slaves and with you wearing the tinfoil hat that was basically you um, showing yourself off to be a slaver to them so you could go through their lands unperturbed oh fair enough that's pretty interesting um, but yeah there's also there's also the fact that um, it's it's few and far between where you see in the um, entries that um, this creature will has a, s- a sense of self-preservation it's, yeah. it straight up says that they will surround themselves with their lackeys with those under its control and it will throw those lackeys without thought at an invader or a threat and if things look like they're going bad it's just going to go I I'm out. Yeah. Case in point, it has plane shift. Mm. Uh, a plane shift that it can specifically only use on itself. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the times they uh, they try to get around this by saying, "Oh yeah, if you try to take anyone else with you, it fails." Yeah, they specifically only do it for themselves. Mm. Uh, they also have a variant, the mind flayer arcanist. It's just a mind flayer, but with much, much more spells. Yeah. Um. I think the idea behind this is that um because they are inherently psionic, that the arcanists are. Heretics because they don't they don't use the psychic powers that they're meant to use and they just use uh, normal human magic. Yeah, it straight up says a few mind flayers supplement their psionic power with arcane spells. However, they are regarded as deviants by their illithiad peers and usually shunned. So, mm. in theory, if you have an arcanist, you're probably dealing with a single mind flayer. Yes, yes, yes. Which, listen, I'm just saying, if you had like a throwaway campaign at like level five, a mind flayer would probably be an excellent um, final boss. Mm. Have it stalk the party. 
even if it was a bit more adventurous, a bit more brave. It, it's one of those where one of the things I like most in a monster manual entry is something that's flexible. Yes, uh, I also like when they tell you some certain tactics. Yeah. Like, or inform at least. Like, showing you that it has plane shift and will just do one is a... It, it, it informs the... Um, the mindset of something like that a little bit better than just, oh yeah, it has fireball. Mm, yeah, exactly, man, exactly. Uh, I also do- love that at will it can just levitate. Yes. <laughs> I like the idea that it just does it to fucking fuck with people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not even like a fly speed, it's just levitating at will. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, basically, it's what Darth Vader would do if Darth Vader wanted to for extravagance yeah. sake. Because as we all know, Anakin is a fucking showman at heart. Drama queen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't he? just <laughs> um but yeah combining just how iconic the creature is and with how versatile you can use it like you can even go a step further and have these be minions at a late level campaign and have three or four of them stalk the party as they fight other things yeah 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 absolutely so you know uh but yes i think i've waffled for long enough what about you who gets your silver medal my silver medal is a silver dragon no it's not a silver dragon um although it is going to be dragons of the chromatic dragon like the metallic dragons are cool and all, but if you're fighting them, you're playing an evil campaign, and that's probably going to be a feel bad to begin with. So, from the chromatic dragons, I'd say black and white being territorial, not that interesting. Um, tyrannical overlords and, well, tyrants and overlords for reds and blues are um, very easy to slot into a campaign, but I think the most interesting of them are the greens. They're liars and manipulators, and while the other chromatics are typically too proud to assume any other form other than being a fucking dragon the green dragons are the ones that are probably the most likely to just have a humanoid form probably three or four of them and will happily sit in as, a, as an advisor to different city states of on at once like profiting from the chaos all the way well, and cackling <laughs> maniacally i've got some i've got some fun behind the scenes things for our recent campaign again rick yeah we don't get to dive into them very much because of the nature of the campaign we're doing but if you did a different campaign you might be able to glean some of this but do you remember old norbone yes yeah yes, Green Dragon. Well, I've learned a bit more lore about them since, and um, they haven't quite mastered the art of uh, shape-shifting to a human form, so what they have is a lot of crystal balls, and they basically watch these all day and treats them like soap operas as she watches what's yeah. going on amongst the land. And what's better <laughs> still is, you know the group, the Harpers? Yeah. Yeah, they know she's doing this, so they... <laughs> So they purposefully advise certain city-states to put on a show. Yes. <laughs> it's so dumb, and I love it. Let things go wrong in an interesting manner, because otherwise she's going to get bored. <laughs> <laughs> she wants nothing well, more then... than to take a perfect human form, a human guise, so she can walk amongst it. But for now, she settles for watching it like it's telly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, their normal abilities are pretty... Um, they're rather pedestrian as far as dragons go, but, like, the joy of it comes in their personalities yeah like like they've got they've got the frightful presence they've got the poison breath they've got wing attack tail attack legendary actions legendary resistances that's just is a dragon yeah yeah but uh like going back to what yeah. you said about black dragons being a bit boring like there's a reason why i uh i changed the uh the person who sent you the airship in our campaign because otherwise here's just another here's just another dragon doing evil things yeah who gives a fuck um <laughs> And that particular dragon is so important that he gets his own place on the map. 
Well, yeah, you don't go there, you will die. Yeah, uh, if you go there asking for more reward at the end of the campaign, you will, he also just kills you yeah. immediately. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> because the only reason the party will go there is because the, the dragon cultists who he sends say, oh, he'll reward you handsomely if you do this deed. And then when you go and get rewarded, he goes, death to you! <laughs> I think the best thing you can do is just take all your treasure to him to thank him. Because, you know, the campaign's over. Your character can just retire destitute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that requires having some meta knowledge about the campaign. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, knowing that it's a campaign and the fact that it's ended. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I think it's now time for our number ones. Oh. Who's your number one? Wouldn't it be funny if we crossed over with the number one spot? I don't think we will. Uh, my number one goes to basically the creature that I would use as the BBEG if I was doing a campaign uh, writing from scratch. Okay. And that goes to the less than humble Death Knight. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is, I believe, the most powerful undead that an Oathbreaker paladin can control. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's basically a uh, a lich paladin. Yeah, when a paladin falls from grace, dies without seeking atonement, dark powers can transform, tra- transform the once mortal knight into a hateful undead creature. And uh, they have the most famous example is one Lord Soth. There's a little blurb for mm. me to read here. Uh, Lord Soth began his fall from grace with an act of heroism, saving an elf named Azold from an ogre. Soth and Azold fell in love, but Soth was already married. He had a servant dispose of his wife and was charged with murder, but fled with assault. When his castle fell under siege, he prayed for guidance and was told that he must atone for his misdeeds by completing a quest. But growing fears about Azold's fidelity caused him to abandon his quest. Because his mission was not accomplished, a great cataclysm swept the land. When Azold gave birth to a son, Soth refused to believe that the child was his and slew them both. All were incinerated in a fire that swept through the castle, yet Soth would find no rest in death, becoming a death knight. Yeah, these things are pretty badass. Um, I believe they also keep coming back as well, don't they? They cannot be killed until they have uh, atoned. That's their curse. So, in theory, you could have a pretty ballsy party get lucky with an early encounter and take him down, only to be horrified as they have to fight it again. Yeah, and again, and again. (laughs) So, I would love to have it, basically have a campaign start at level 5. These guys are undead marshals. It's straight straight up says marshal undead. Unless the Death Knight is incapacitated, it and undead creatures of its choice within 60 feet have advantage on saving throws against features that turn undead. Basically Mm -hmm. surround him with an army of undead dead he's basically a lich without the bullshit yes <laughs> and you know the, the thing yeah. a martial lich basically but you could go one yeah. step further you could have him be the second in command you can have two or three of these leader liches armies or you know because a lich themselves are not actually that much stronger than that just have them as a uh, like unholy matrimony pair you know you could but I don't like that idea given the law you know I sure like the idea of a death knight is they're supposed to be constantly suffering until they repent or until they're redeemed sure. uh, a death knight can arise anew even after it has been destroyed only when it atones for a life of wickedness or finds redemption can it finally escape its undead purgatory and truly perish so in theory one of the best way that the, the actual way you deal with a death knight is you have to help them redeem themselves I've got an idea about that then so you know yeah the death knight was de- the death knight in life was probably the one that helped the lich do all the rituals impossibly including sacrificing the entire town towns <laughs> yes you don't get yes. a lich army but from a single town no but like becoming a lich requires a lot of sacrifice yeah I, but again that implies they're a paladin before they um actually did that you'd have to you know it has to be accidental or fueled by spite and i feel like a lich's um uh, ceremony would require you'd, you'd have to know what was going on you know you're telling you're telling me that anakin wouldn't have turned padme into a lich if he had the opportunity hmm, yeah, i suppose yeah and once she's a lich she doesn't have her old sensibilities anymore yeah but the thing is like doesn't the lich usually 
usually have to be a willing participant. Usually, yes, but sometimes they have it forced upon them. Uh, there's one in Eberron that's, um, she doesn't know how she became a lich. All she knows is, she, is that she is one now, and she's a bit annoyed about it. She can't find her phylactery because it keeps moving. Okay. I still don't like the idea, but Aho diddly do. It's not my campaign. Yep. Uh, yep. But yeah, it, it's it's one of those where it's a scary beastie. Uh, it can never truly die unless you, again, redeem it. Uh, and despite being evil as fuck, it still has access to its holy spells. Yes. <laughs> including hold hold person, dispel magic, banishment, smite. Oh, by the way, it has a little spell called compelled duel. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty cool spell. It is. Like, let's you and him fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not allowed to move more than 30 feet away from it. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you got to fight one-on-one. If he casts this on a wizard, that wizard is fucked. Yes. <laughs> oh, also, it's immune to necrotic and poison damage. It can't be exhausted, frightened, or poisoned. Oh, I imagine trying to frighten a death knight. <laughs> You say that, but, you know, people have tried dumber. Yes, yes. Oh, also, by the way, once per day it can fling a hellfire orb at the party. The hellfire eradicating solar flare. Man. <laughs> 20... It's basically a fireball, but on steroids. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Oh, um, yeah. So, I guess that's time for my number one. Yeah, let's hear it. Lay it on me. It's not the Tarasque. It's a Rakshasa. Well, to be fair, right, the Tarasque is shit. Yeah, so, I did a bit of research on the Tarasque. Party of four at level 20 goes from a hard encounter at CR23 to deadly at CR24. You need seven level 20s to tip the scale from deadly to hard on, on Tarask. It's just something to throw at your party because you're sick. It's basically like, hey, oh yeah, you think you're really big bollocks, here's this thing. It's not fun, it's not entertaining, it's not interesting. Yeah, like 600 on health, plus 19 to hit. It hits a lot of people on twos. Yeah, it would do. Um, immune to line spells, uh, roll to hit spells and magic missiles, and on a d6 roll of six, those get reflected. Uh, advantage on every other spell and has three times leg- legendary resistance even if it fails. Yeah, it's, it's one of those where it's literally, if you want to fight a, a fight a Tarasque and not have it be like an overarching um, world ender that's just flying over, uh, you, you know, flying through the world and occasionally it might just pop up and you're basically, unless you're being interesting and want to have your party just try and divert its path rather than straight up fight it, it's going to be something that you tell your players, hey, do you want to fight a Tarasque? And your players will be like, I guess, cool, make level 20 characters. Let's see how long this takes. Yep. Oh, fuck me, it's a lot of math and it's boring. Yep, and you got these damn people who just go on Reddit and get a Tarask Slayer build. Yeah, including one person who once said uh, a level 5 Aracoka could do it because of fly speed, as if the Tarask can't fly itself. It can't fly, but it can pick up a rock and cob it at it with a plus 19 to hit. And it could also, like, even if it was correct and it could never get hit, the Tarask would just go, okay, and walk slowly, not even slowly, very quickly just walk out of range of the Aracoka. Yeah, right, it's... <laughs> eat someone else for a bit of health. And then, uh... It's a ridic- it's it's ridiculous. It really is. Like I get it. Some people get a massive boner at the idea of making the build that will slay the toughest monster in D and D. It's boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yes, Rakshasa is my number one. This guy on its own can be your BBEG. Uh, he's immune to spells of 6th level or below. I do like the fact so, that we've both gone with a character who could either be the BBEG or can be just a very powerful underling. Yeah, um, so this is basically a full-on goodbye to rangers and pallies in terms of their, ma- in terms of their magic. It's only CR13 by default, uh-huh. so they're deadly up to level 9 for our party of 4. However, it has near-perfect shapeshifting, able to basically be 
any NPC in the game isn't the as big, long as they've taken... Isn't the big tell that their thumbs are always backwards? Yes, the, the only giveaway is they've got the reversed hands. Apparently they could shapeshift it, but they're so used to their hands being what they consider the correct way mm-hmm. that they don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Uh, often they have a specific tell as well. Like, say, if one of them has a, a missing tick. eye and, yeah, like a missing eye and a shock of white hair, all of their uh, personas will have a, an eye patch or a missing eye or a blind eye and a shock of white hair. I like that, though. Usually because usually because they want to be discovered, because of arrogance. Yeah. Like, they, they could shapeshift it away, but it's like, uh, it's like a serial killer. They keep leaving clues for the police. Yeah, when a serial killer gets bored, they're usually like, okay, this is now a game. Yeah. Um, that yeah. being said, does it isn't one of the unique aspects of a Rakshaska? Rakshasa. Rakshasa. I'm going to completely butcher it every time I say it on purpose as a joke. Um, <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, isn't the big gimmick much like the Death Knight in that they, uh, they're actually hard to kill because when you kill them, they just return to their plane of existence? Yeah, you kill it, it goes to hell. Uh, it keeps all of its memories and reincarnates into literally itself. It remembers you if you kill it and if it can't kill you, it will go after your uh, your your loved ones. So in other words, if that one player who makes a fucking seven paragraph, seven paragraph, seven page long backstory for their character, including all their loved ones and friends, yeah, you that's got, just a menu. I'm gonna regret. You're gonna regret <laughs> that, motherfucker. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I've got nothing against uh, long backstories. I really don't. However, as a DM, I don't want to read it. Give me the cliff notes. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Give me the cliff notes just so I know what to include in my campaign. I've already had to write a ton of shit for this campaign. I don't want to have to read a mini book. <laughs> yeah, that's why I I err on the side of um, the story is happening to the character during the game. Yeah. Just give them a few reasons to be the person that they are before the game starts, and that's normally good enough. Yeah, the only time I've ever done more than just bullet points was when I was giving a backstory to a person who I know gives backstories that are long. So not because I was yes. like, "Here, take this, motherfucker." It's because I know that's what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. It's one of those um, like you need like five bullet points for a backstory because again, as Rick points out, the story is meant to be the campaign you're doing now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite ways of getting around that is someone giving this really long and intricate backstory, and then as people are rolling their eyes and starting to uh, fall asleep, you just go. Also, they say this is what they've been saying for their entire time since they've escaped from the insane asylum. Okay. Uh, so yeah, they, they believe that they have done these things, but they're they're just a crazy person. Well, one of my favorite ones was um, I won't say his name on the podcast, um, but you'll know who it is. Uh, <laughs> was this one character's backstory was uh, they kept a scrapbook of all these legendary beasts that they slew uh, with uh, uh, sc- uh, patches of skin and tokens, and then when they retired that character, their next character was Hey, have you seen such and such? They paid me to kill a beholder. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they haven't paid me yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love shit like that. That shit tickles me. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um. In Eberron, mm-hmm. Rakshasa are buffed. Oh. Because there isn't there isn't a definitive hell there. They turn Eberron into their own hell. Essentially, they are the demon lords of the realm. Oh. If you kill one, instead of going to hell, they just go back to the planet that they're from, which is Eberron. Eberron is sealed off from the rest of the universe because the um the creator was like, no, nah, I don't want any any multiverse bullshit going on here you'd you, you, you play this game to play this game you don't just go to the normal world um, so they cheat they uh, they don't have the thing where 
that if you kill them on their home plane of hell, that they uh, that they die because they've just intrinsically woven themselves into the fabric of, uh, of Eberron itself. Each one of them is a demon lord in their own right, but they've got like these super demon lords that they're all speakers of, and each one of them are sealed. Okay. Uh, so ideally, each one of them is working against the others to get their own demon lord out first. Some of them have given up on this and just want to become the uh, the demon lord that uh, inhabits that quality. To be fair, and, seems like an easier path yeah. than, the, than the prior. <laughs> yep. And no matter what you do, you're going to be empowering one of them. Okay, that's some mad Constantine vibes. Yes, yes. Uh, Constantine's and constantly even if they... working against demon lords. The only problem is, like, a demon lord has to win at some point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's one of those where, when we were doing it, we were, um, like, this isn't a campaign that anyone can do because it was all a homebrew campaign run by uh, run by our DM. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that we had, he was one of the ones that wanted to just take control of his own aspect. Yeah. So we were essentially working in tandem with this guy, um, mostly unknowingly until the end. Right. Um, but the things that we did tell him uh, involved him shitting his pants and killing the Prince of Dragons because we'd made friends with the Prince of Dragons and we told the guy that we cr- we trusted that we'd made friends with the Prince of Dragons. The guy that we trusted was the Rakshasa. Right. Um, our guild handler was the Rakshasa. A guy in a in a town working as a information broker was the Rakshasa. He was the most obvious one because he was just a tabaxi. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this was, I think that's like we say about the the serial killer thing. That was that was that to the extreme. Just a tabaxi. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not just a tabaxi. Um, but uh, I mentioned the lich earlier that we ended up using that lich as our patron for the latter half of the campaign just because we didn't want to keep empowering this one Rakshasa. Hmm. And um, we just did a Vegeta on the lich, just thought that she could uh, be redeemed in some way. And the DM threw me a bone and made her stop being quite so evil. Okay, so your simping um, saved the universe. It wasn't so much simping, she died when she was 13. So your simping saved the universe. Yeah, um, and it's possible that she became like the actual Raven Queen of that universe after she be- like achieved apotheosis and uh, did everything and like just became a god rather than a lich. Sure. But um, we, we like our characters all died and became a pantheon of themselves. So talking a lot about a lich when we're talking about Rakshas. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's it for me and my Rakshasa. Oh yes, there one little thing. They have a vulnerability to piercing damage dealt by characters that are good aligned. Which. Yeah, chances are a fair amount of your characters yeah. are probably going to be good. Yeah, uh, but not a lot of them will be, you know, wielding a rapier. Or a spear. At uh, a high level. Yeah, or a spear. or a sh- I think a short sword's also a spear, uh, piercing. That's bollocks, but, but if okay. if you're using a short sword. If you're using a short sword, why wouldn't you just be using a rapier? I don't know, Rick. Some people <laughs> like to flavour their things, and they don't care about the numbers. Yeah, one damage die increase. <laughs> but yep, I think that's about it from us and our monster rankings. So if you like the video, you've got the comment section down below on YouTube. And if you're listening via one of the many audio platforms, you can instead send us an email, which would go to nonsensereviewuk at gmail.com. Once again, that is nonsensereviewuk at gmail.com. And as always, if you've made it this far, you are our favourite people, so it's going to be a goodbye from me. Yeah, let us know who you'd put in your top five. You can give us the whole top five, or you can just say who you put at number one. We're easy. We might read out interesting things on other podcasts, but, uh, you know, got to make them interesting. Bye, guys. Bye.